0: Jason, before we before I introduce today's show, I would like to officially announce my candidacy for Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives.
1: Can I can I count on your vote? You you have my vote, sir. Um, and if I can vote multiple times, I'll do that as well, because they know that's what we do. Right. Is yes. vote illegally and steal elections. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm 100 percent on board. I, I don't know what it entails. I mean, so um, no one but I does. Assume But, uh, yeah, I I don't think many of the people that are actually in Congress know what it entails. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I'm I'm on board 100 percent. So, yes, I I appreciate it. What do I need to do? Do I need to, like, sign a petition or uh, go down to my local? uh, You just need to be you you need to be at the roll call. Um,
0: We need 218 plus one to to formally
1: install me as speaker <laughs> okay all right enough of the political bullshit sorry uh, yeah there'll be enough of it on today's podcast <laughs> yes, on sir. why does it <laughs> Yes, there will.
0: speaking of welcome back streamers and happy new year to all of you yeah. um, i hope your
1: holiday season was a nice one and if you've made any resolutions for this new year i hope that you have broken them already yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, because I mean, what the what's the point? You're you're. I think the message of why does Wilhelm scream really is, you're perfect just the way you are. You know what? And live each day. Don't worry about some sort of far flung. I'm going to start. January first is just a, a just another day. It is. It's it is not really. A, it's not significant in significant in any way other than just the passage of time. It doesn't mean that we did anything special. Just be your best self. You know, be kind to people trying not to take other people's things and really and, and watch a few movies that's that's I think that's the big message that we have for this podcast is, in, is engage, those, is those with your,
0: engage with your imagination and that, vote locally and vote, it, vote locally local local elections do matter if if the past however many years yeah i don't know 200 plus years if they've taught us anything right, it's it's that local elections matter and, and they have not taught us really anything no no by by the absurdity happening in the the House of Representatives. Today's show, we're, we're mainly going to be talking about Terry Gilliam's Brazil and, and the other two films in the trilogy of imagination, Time Bandits and uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And a little bit, I think, about Gilliam himself, right? We'll also give you some films you might like if you like Brazil. And we're going to talk <laughs> briefly about the film Soft and Quiet Directed by Beth DiRajo. Before that, I think Jason, you want to sort of eulogize Pele by talking about the film Victory.
1: So yeah, I mean, we—I I don't. I'm sure that that if you're in the consciousness that you saw that soccer legend, superhero, the person who kind of brought it into certainly my consciousness, if not in most Americans consciousness, was uh, Pele, the, the singular named Brazilian soccer player, he has passed away recently after the World Cup was over. Um, I don't think he waited to see Messi <laughs> win and then passed away. I think it was just complications from being old. And that happens to all of us. We're all marching towards the sweet, sweet relief of death. And may it come soon for all of us, but... <laughs> <laughs> on the other podcast of why Jason wishes for death sometimes. (laughs) So I thought what would be a fun exercise would be to revisit Pele's film career. Now, for the most part, Pele starred in films where he was Pele. I mean, he's in things, he's in a bunch of different films, but most of them are either about documentaries about his life or where he pops up as a cameo as Pele. Now he did two films and I think he's done more than this, but I think he did two films early on, right after his retirement, he would have been in his early 40s where he he kind of went off into film. He did this, this movie called a, a Marcha or A Marcha. I don't know how you I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. It is completely lost to time. I cannot find any uh, any reference to it. I mean, I can find references to it on IMDb and things like that, but I can't find the actual film. And then he made a mainstay cable staple of my childhood, a movie called Victory or escape to victory, depending on where you're coming from. It was known as victory in the United States. It was a film starring Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone. And it was essentially The Great Escape meets The Longest Yard. A bunch of misfits uh, that were in a POW camp in World War II, Nazi Germany, are playing soccer. Max van out sees them, he's a Nazi. Like, th- that guy played more Nazis than he didn't play Nazis, right? I mean, that's... <laughs>
0: <right>. <laughs> Which is always a shame. I always felt like he gets, he gets, <laughs> I don't know, lumped in or not really typecast. It's
1: either he's in a Bergman film or he's, an, or he's a Nazi. And that's kind Good. of it. Yeah. He's such a, like, a lanky kind of just striking figure that he just, he does feel like he's the perfect Nazi. And he also has that kind of demeanor that is perfect for a film Nazi. I, I'm not, certainly not saying that Max is a is a Nazi himself. He... He is a soccer player, and he sees Michael Kane leading a group of POWs. On the pitch, playing soccer, and gets this idea of a of a game between the German national team and an Allied Forces team to be set in France. All the while, you've got Sylvester Stallone, who is an American who doesn't know how to play soccer, but he is. I couldn't really figure out what his role was outside of just he was just trying to escape from the POW camp and yeah, get information, basically back and forth, and and try to figure out how to get out and and continue the war. And then, of course, so one of the players is in order to make this movie even look halfway like it was real soccer, they brought in actual soccer players from around the world. Um, because of course, 47 year old, I think at the time, Michael Kane who has never looked like he could play soccer in his life. Like, I mean, like he, he was an attractive, he is an attractive man, but he's not by Hollywood stand. I mean, I know we go back to this of conventionally attractive people, <laughs> but he was your typical sixties, seventies, you know, a little bit of pudge. He did not, you know, he wasn't He's not exactly the most ripped person in, in you know, <laughs> on the face of the earth. He certainly doesn't look like he runs on, on, on a soccer field for 90 minutes at a time. Although all the other people did. I mean, so like they got actual professional soccer players to come on and, and, and to be <laughs> the other roles that didn't have really much acting to do other than than just to play soccer. So a soccer game is put on between the German national team. All of it is a big ruse for the allied forces to find a way to... The game is going to be held in Paris. So they're going to try to find a way to escape in Paris. And of course, they're supposed to get escape at halftime and the players decide, you know what, it's okay that we're POWs. I don't mind continuing to be a POW. I just want to kick some sock german soccer ass some nazi soccer ass, right because they definitely have the insignia on their jerseys as they're playing so what did you think i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna toss it back to you have you you, you seen it before like this this was on all the time when i was a kid like this was like a thing that you turn on tbs you turned on tnt this was a movie that just kind of permeated my childhood it was one that i've seen probably and and it's so innocuous right and so I I apologize. I said I'm going to throw it over to you, but just a little bit of history on it. It's directed by John Huston, Maltese Falcon, (laughs) Treasure of the Sierra Madre, John Huston, who took this movie as a paycheck. He does not like this movie um, and he kind of despised everything about it. He just did it for the money. Michael Caine knew it was cliche, did it so he could work with Pele. Stallone did it for the paycheck. No one in this movie, aside from the soccer players that were playing soccer, really wanted to be in this film. It's not... It's it, it's it's not. Uh, it wasn't anything that, that was a passion project for any of them. It's based on. Somewhat true events, but in reality, it was, uh, you know, so it wasn't like some, it wasn't like something that was, this was Stallone's dream to bring to, bring to film. It was just everyone here is to show up to do a job. And that was basically it. So again, okay. Now I'm going to turn it back over to you. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's about what I, I thought
0: of it. I, I had seen it before. It had been a long time and it's not a film that I think about much or think about revisiting. I think it's very cliched, very tropey. I, one of the things that I find interesting, I, I think it's very american sports film so yes
1: funny.
0: yeah right i mean it's like even though i like the it's natural just, the natural has the same underdog
1: kind of right it's it's the they're gonna triumph at the end it's the bears, right? it's, yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's
0: it's mighty ducks it's it's all of those films and what i think is really interesting though about that is it's a very american film with a very non-american sport at its center and but again i, I mean i watched it Kind of, you know. I mean, right. It's like because I know, like you know, the beats. You know what's going to happen. You know these characters, and you know, okay, Pele is going to come back on after being injured, and he's going to he's going to score an important goal. He's going to score the tying goal, which should
1: have been the winning goal, right? But, but again, yeah, <laughs> the movies theme is a is a yeah. huge misnomer. It's just, it's spoiler so alert, annoying. they don't actually win. But again,
0: but but a draw in this, but this is, I mean. So I think as, I don't know how much of a soccer fan you are, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big soccer fan and there are times where a draw you might as well take as a victory against against certain teams and so you know everyone watching the game there is is French German European so they understand how these things work because you know under like actual sort of a you know socialist governments right you you share sometimes <laughs> or,
1: <laughs> that's, right. and that's, yeah. what,
0: that's what that's what the draw is right they're sharing the, the points because they're playing essentially the German national team and at this time. The time it was it was set, the national teams would have been really kind of strong and important and powerful, much more than they are. I think even now, I think now we're much more interested in club football than than international. But I mean, the movie, I think I think Kane is having a good time. I think Von Siddow is doing his best to have a good time. But but sometimes he sort of looks like he's wondering what he's doing in this movie. Like, why am I here? <laughs> like, what's the,
1: what is the point of me in this film, in this? No, really? <laughs> right. You know, I brought this Nazi on. uniform from another movie I did, you know, six months <laughs> ago. Stallone That's is why I'm the, in it, because I had the
0: uniform. I already had a costume. They were like, hey, do you still have that? Yeah, just come on, <laughs> come on set. Stallone is doing his very most kind of like winky, jokey, American Stallone. You know, I mean, I think right. I think he's very much an American archetype in this in this film. I mean, it's not a
1: good it's, movie. It's not. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's not a good movie. <laughs> no, right, you're not going right. to hurt my feelings good. by saying it was. Like, and Pele is not given nearly enough to do. Now, granted, I think he I says like me. five words altogether. Right. He bicycle kicks three times. Okay. one's a, a you know a repeat of the exact same scene. He has. He does have a funny moment. You know when he they're they're, I mean, they're if, planning out their plays and Pele takes the chalk from Michael Caine and is like, No, I'm going to do Zigzags all over the field and then he kicks the ball. Easy. And he's going to kick the ball in. It's easy. Easy. Just give me the ball and I'll do this. And so people, audiences watching know that it's Pele, obviously know that that's what he could do. And so that's a funny moment. When I watched this as a kid, and again, with, you know, un, I, I was not looking at it with critical eyes. This was, again, just something that was, I, I think I liked it a lot more then because it is kind of feel-goody. And by the time, it's overly long. And, but you, like you said, you know all, this, all the beats, you know the training montages, and you know, you know, In a normal film like this, you would have multiple games, right? You'd have them get humiliated in the first game. You'd have them come to do a tie, take, take like necessary roughness, right? Where they lose the entire season. The the next, the last, the next to the last game, they tie it so they get some confidence and then they take on Texas State and they you know and they win you know they beat them with no stakes to the game but they still beat them and show up the bad the bad the big bad team right this, this you know you don't have that so you've, you've you've stretched this movie out there's a really long section in it what i found surprising about this was looking at it now is how low stakes the entire movie is the nazis are not that bad i mean you're not even given a real like and i know that that's not what the intent of this movie was right this is not to make you feel sh- but at the ultimately, are you concerned about making Nazis feel shitty? You need right. a bad guy who's right. really a bad guy, and outside from them wearing the swastikas. And you know who they are. They're not presented as monsters. You know, Sitao is 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 presented as a pretty level-headed and fair-thinking Nazi in regards to. And again, you don't get into as Nazi, Nazi Nazi's Sky, at all, right? I mean, you don't you don't really see any of the war and the horrors of the POW camp, which would have made the sacrifice that the players make to give something back to the community, to give something back to the Allied fans that are watching this, to think that hey, maybe we can win this war, maybe we can give some sort of you know do what the nazis are hoping to do which is to crush the spirit of of the ally, you know of the of this nation that they're playing in there's none of that whatsoever None of that's there. There's a big, long, protracted sequence where Stallone escapes from the POW camp and is in France. And he has this bizarre love interest that comes out of nowhere, that, that it has no sort of chemistry whatsoever. And then pops back up at the end of the movie where they hug after the game is over. And you're like, wait, are are they dating? Because she was very standoffish because she didn't really want to know him because she figured he would die. And so that that subplot was really bizarre. And then by the time you get to the game, I think there's a reason that there's not that many soccer movies or football movies in the sense that it's hard to, one, portray that well on and then to portray it as... A, a a tense game because right. soccer in itself yes there are moments of excitement but it's not it's different than baseball it's different than football where you can stop everything down and then do basketball as well where you can stop everything down and then do a play take a play show a pitch show a long throw and show the, t- the how much time is the right. soccer is just doesn't lend itself towards that yeah. and so yeah. There's no urgency in the game at all. And you also have then taken all of these soccer players who don't act in the film, right? They just play soccer. They don't really say anything. And then you make them the driving force of the movie at the end to say, no, we really want to go back out and fight these German guys, which, okay, like they weren't really let in on the whole because Stallone escapes and then they bring him and then he gets captured again so he can go back in to play the game. But none of the teams, because Stallone's been kept in solitary, none of the team knows what they're they're actually. What the plan is for their escape. So it's a really bizarre way to handle that emotional thread of like, okay, we've broken through the bottom of this stadium to, we've tunneled through the stadium to get you guys out. <laughs> and, and, and and Kane's like, no, we all got to go. And then there's like one of the guys like, well, we want to still play. And like, and Kane's like, wait a minute, you want to play? Who wants to play the game? <laughs> you want to play? You want to play? <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so weird <laughs> how that plays out. And then of course they go out and they tie the game and then they're still able to escape because the crowd rushes the field, rushes rushes the pitch and, and starts putting putting coats on the players and and blends in. And then Siddow is there with a shit-eating grin on his face. Watching it happen. Watching it all happen. Knowing that, like, and again, this would have had, like, if you wanted to show stakes here, and of course, I I understand you're not going to bring, if if you had had Hitler at the stadium and like, and and there would have been stakes to the Nazi soldiers and the Nazi, you know, the Nazi officers for losing this game or tying this game as well. But none of that is there. So it's just really- weird like it really is like a kid's movie just set in World War II like with really kind of oddly inappropriate setting. <laughs> yeah. This this made
0: me think, made me think about, about Hogan's Heroes. Hogan-Tiro. That's kind of the that, that that's the vibe I got, right? right, it, was, right. It, was, it's it was very like, much Hogan's Heroes. I mean escaping is kind of like a business I mean, they have these commanding officers within the camp that arrange for like, well, we like your plan, so we'll, we'll kind of endorse your plan to escape or we don't like your plan, so we won't endorse your plan to escape. I, I'm watching the, the, at the end of the movie when the when the when the crowd rushes the field, I'm like, OK, those German soldiers are dead.
1: Right. right, yeah.
0: The crowd would have killed those soldiers. And also, <laughs> von Sidow is watching this game and applauding like the effort because he is. He comes off as a sportsman. He comes off as right, someone who's really just athlete. interested in. He's interested in the spirit of competition. He's like, I want a fair game. I want a real game. He gets upset when when one of his colleagues, you know, lets him know that the ref is there to kind of fix the game and make sure that they don't lose. I mean, he's upset about that. But here's the thing: at the end of this movie, von Siddow catches a bullet in the face.
1: <laughs> right, right, All, and, was- and most likely the German national team does as well. Yep. Like there are stakes yep. here that are just glossed over in in a in a Karate Kid type ending because because the whole thing is you know Stallone is this American who's playing goalie against a German national team and he's not a he's not a soccer player he's and not there's a pen- There's a penalty kick and he's able to stop it and it's. It really. And so that's basically the end. The the game ends in a tie. But yes, and that's what I don't really understand about this movie is who was it made for? Like, what was the audience here? And in 1981 right like yeah there were there were plenty of of gritty like the longest yard would have already been out you know i mean this would have been so you would have already had movies like this the four and that's what's great about movies like these is that yes they're repetitive yes they're cliche but the formula is there and if you stick to the formula typically your movie is going to work that's why they've made so many rocky films and most of them are halfway watchable movies because they stick to the formula it's and it and it and it pulls at all the things that it pulls at you. Your all your emotions are played, and this movie just has. Like I said, it just it just stays so low stakes the entire yeah. time. And Kane and and Stallone are watchable. Pele again is not given much to do, um, so that's disappointing when you're because especially because he's on the poster and he's clearly there to sell the movie. But this is a this is one of those movies that the poster is definitely better than the than the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's basically <laughs> what you have. And I think yeah, it's I'm- one of those ones. that's just it's so like it hasn't it has a really good pet. So you're thinking and I think we get lulled to sleep by that sometimes is that mm-hmm. this movie should be better than it is. So I'm just going to like put it on in the background. But is just yeah, I, I one of the things that stuck out to me when watching it now and that I had had in my head, you know, we talked the last time about the "I think about you when I go to the bathroom" line, which <laughs> I had mis- <laughs> <It's was> mistakenly <laughs> thought it was. I think about you when I go to pee. When I the, the the arm breaking scene, so in the movie, the they have to break the arm of the existing goalkeeper so Stallone can play goal because he's the only the one who knows the plan to escape. The arm breaking scene in the movie in my head was much more violent and 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 I, like you heard this snap and it was it was and you actually saw Kane's boot, but it was, it was, I was like, Oh, well that wasn't anything at all. But in my head, when I was a kid, I was like, Oh, that was rough. Like that was a thing that was, I had to turn away from. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Just, I think one last
0: thought going back to something you said about the players is that we never, we never form any kind of attachment to the players. So there is no sort of emotional stakes. I mean, and I think even, um, Sir Bobby Moore is one of the, one of the players as an actor and he, which is funny, he played for West Ham United, which is where Michael Kane's character comes from. So there's that kind of and they play in the same position. He's actually decent in the film. He's kind of like the big sandy haired guy. Yeah. Yes. Gary. So he's actually I mean, you know, we could have had more attachment to him. We could have seen some of these players. Something could have happened to one of them. I mean, I mean, more than just having their arm broken by like your commanding officer, but but nothing happened. I mean, well, even, like, even like the attempt with Pele, it didn't it, I mean, it was just like you know what's going to.
1: Right. If you had of 86, the entire subplot of <laughs> Stallone escaping, which was really the only again to it, only uh, only there to add a, a an ill-advised love interest and to give you the comedic paper uh, mache head sequence, which <laughs> was overdrawn and kind of funny when you first saw it, but it really, and, 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 and like early. you said, it, had, it And had you have developed a, a, it's just a passing relationship with these guys where they all had some sort of like wide swath personality trait that, you know, there's a fat guy and there's a smart Alec, and there's a guy who doesn't speak any English. And there's a a guy who punches everybody, you know, all that, all of those tropes, right. You could have done that and made this really, I mean, like this had, this has potential and it just, it didn't, because again, it's just a sports movie and all of them have potential just because of just the nature of of us (laughs) liking those types of things. I mean, and I say us just, you know as a as a as a collective humanity and it uh it really it really did nothing nothing with them but it's you know it's watchable again it's like i said it's background noise if you had something if you needed to turn something on um for your cats to watch while you're out of the house or something that would be this would be (laughs) perfect (laughs) that'd be like that Pele, he can move (laughs) that was one of the things too is like the bicycle kick that Pele uses to tie up the game um when they show it the first time it goes in the top Right hand corner. And when they right. show it again, it goes underneath the goalie. <laughs> I love shit like that. It's but just- <laughs> those,
0: those kind of mistakes, those kind of anachronisms that, that you catch in a film, and you're like, how did that, that's wrong, isn't it?
1: Right. That's not right. That it's like when they threw- from the other angle. <laughs> It's like when they break the glass in um, in The Usual Suspects when he drops the coffee cup, it like breaks, and like every single time they they filmed it, 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 bro- it broke in a different <laughs> a different way. way. Yeah. And that's less noticeable than this, though. It, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. All right, so, so yeah, victory. Yeah, there you go. that was that was victory,
0: and and thank you for making me watch that again. Uh, and I now you'll never have to watch it again. I, I'm not going to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> anyway. So speaking of, of Nazis, this is a good segue into. into That was not intentional, but yeah. Into the film Soft and Quiet. This film is a trip. This film is an absolute trip. It plays out in real time over sort of one afternoon and into the evening. And it was shot all the way through like f- on four consecutive days. So they would start at like 4.30 in the afternoon and they just run it all the way through. And they did that four times so that the, the effect is that they get edited together so that the effect looks like one continuous take. So the story is that an elementary school teacher named Emily organizes a, a mixer of, of like-minded women. <clears throat> excuse me they meet in the rec room of a church and at first it seems like kind of a regular like white lady wine club until our until emily until our main pov character starts to serve her cherry pie and we see a swastika carved into the crust i i'm gonna pause for a second
1: yeah I, sure
0: i didn't know i sort of avoided all of the like stuff about this film so i just
1: knew that like something happened and you yeah. know, <laughs> same, same here. When I when I suggested that we watched it, I had I had just seen like, oh, controversial and shocking and you won't believe this. And I was like, all no. right, that you I mean you've got you piqued my interest. Yeah. I, I, had, was thinking, I had heard kind of the same thing and I had heard like good things, but I was like, okay, this, yeah, this sounds interesting.
0: And I didn't read anything else about it. When that when she took the foil
1: off of that pie crust, I out loud, went, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> <laughs> the film goes into sleep, right? Because that's a, that's that's fifteen minutes in, in and it's right. an hour thirty minute movie. And you start off with she, you you see her, and she's taking a pregnancy test, and very like hurriedly taking a pregnancy test, and she's crying at the results of it. You don't see the results of it, and then she engages with one of her students. She's a teacher, and she engages with one of her students that is left after school. It's apparent that his mom is late and hasn't picked him up, so he's sitting on the curb. And she engages with him to basically tell him to go tell a janitor to not mop while he's there because he could fall and get hurt. And all of this, to this point, seems... I it doesn't necessarily seem normal, but it doesn't also seem so out of bounds that you're like questioning any of it. Right. She explains she, why she talks. To the, she explains why she makes the boy go confront the janitor. This is a female janitor, person of color. But you don't really think anything of, of that. And... When his mom gets there, she explains to him that, well, he's always the first to help you out people in class and he's not really assertive about himself. So she's trying to help him gain confidence and, and be more assertive and, and just stand up for himself. And then that's basically it. Then you're walking directly to the church where she's meeting up with these women um, at the white or the Aryan female. I forget what the name of it was now. But. I, I, I do. I do,
0: too. But yeah. but So so it turns out yeah, that they're all there. They're all there. I mean, it, it turns out that it's a, a it's mainly talk talking about those people and how white people are being victimized and it's not fair and blah, blah, blah. And all this kind of the same basic white supremacist right wing bullshit rhetoric. Right. So it's like this, this women's white
1: Aryan club. Yeah, they used oh. the word Aryan and and like yeah women's Aryan gathering or meeting or something like that it, there, it wasn't an acronym or anything like that it was just written on a small whiteboard as you pull back from then, because even when they show this swastika you're like they're they're joking about it and it, and you the, the comment is made well, we can't joke about anything anymore so you're right. you, and, but and, and then you see the whiteboard that says the Aryan meeting and then you're like okay we're now it's now balls to the wall <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah queuing on and, and just and, and and also just yeah stormfront and proud boys and all right. of—I mean, none of those things are brought up specifically. Stormfront is, but not—but right. not the other two. Right. And it's, and then it, they essentially go around the table. And it's like an airing of grievances. Food. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then, and so like... You're having the, a festivus celebration. So <laughs> Which is ironic. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so, so the, 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 the racist club comes to a close when the priest or whoever... knows no bounds. Sorry.
1: <laughs> their, their appropriation
0: knows no bounds. <laughs> and again, it's like this, like, lack of self awareness to not realize the irony in any way. <laughs> so so, so to the, the, plot. The, the, the racist club kind of comes to a close when the priest or whoever Whoever he is at the church is like, lady, get out of here before I call the cops. And so they, they all have to leave. And some of the girls decide to keep the party going. And, and decide to go get some wine and hang out. And while getting wine, they run into a woman from Emily's past by the name of Anne. And we come to understand through this kind of back and forth that Anne was raped by Emily's brother. And Anne is not white. Anne is of Asian, Asian-American, um, or of Asian descent. So a confrontation ensues largely over her not being white. And Anne's sister stands up to the women and, you know, says some things back while Anne is trying to get her to, like, leave. And the white women are just pissed off and decide to take revenge. They go to vandalize Anne's house. And through a series of ridiculous and unfortunate events, Anne's sister is killed and Anne is murdered. At least we think so. But when they dump her body into the lake she eventually pops up gasping for breath and that's where the film ends. Yeah.
1: And this, uh, so I'll just, I'll dive yeah, in. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I, cause we haven't talked about this up until nope. now. I don't know who this movie's for, man. I, one it's, it's, and, and I understand that this is the point it is, it's, not only just uncomfortable, it's just an unpleasant hour and a half. Um. And it's one of those things you read reviews about it too. And you, you see, oh, you won't believe the last 15 minutes. Well, first I couldn't see the last 15 minutes. Also. Yeah. I believe the last 15 minutes in in the sense. Yes. I wouldn't believe the last 15 minutes because I didn't believe anything that was going on the entire time that I was watching this. And look, I get that this extreme depiction of, and it may not be on, on a person to person basis. It may not be extreme, right? But this extreme depiction of this, ugliness and this, this, this bigotry. I just, I just don't know who it, you're preaching to the converted in a, in a, in, in the ugliest message that you could possibly preach. Right. And and look, I get that it should be denounced and, and all of the I'm not I'm not arguing that these women. But I think what, weirdly what happens and when I was watching this movie is that so everything escalates, right? You you're it's just women airing their grievances and they're ugly and they're bigoted and racist women that are just talking about how small their own lives are and how they deserve just by the nature of their being. They deserve the fruits of their ancestors, their white ancestors and their white husbands and fathers. And and then it escalates into a confrontation. And look, I understand because they're all together, they have a little bit of bravery amongst themselves. And so the confrontation between six or five women on against two women is, is something that could potentially happen. So when they go to, but when they go and they, they vandalize the house and it escalates into this killing that happens where they put peanut m ms in her mouth and she has a peanut allergy and she passes away. And then they... Essentially, have this very—I don't know if you want to consider it graphic or not. They—they—they I mean, they, they, they try to stage the break-in to this woman's house as a rape. They rape her with some f- sort of foreign object. You don't really see that. I mean, you don't, obviously it's not as graphic as as I'm probably as you maybe imagining in your head when I say it. It is graphic and it is disturbing. Then they bag these two women up and they take them out on a boat and drop them into a lake. I just think that escalation of events then then shifts the audience's mindset or at least for me it did where you're like okay now how are they going to get out of this where you're kind of not like rooting for these women it's still horrible but you're also then your mind is not back on the horrible thing to see that these women did or are it's more on the event of okay how are they going to hide themselves from this and then the idea that she pops out and they're, they're going to have to have face retribution for their actions it, it like if you take this and you and you and you watch something like get out but the last scene in get out where you're you're Where you're visibly worried that the cops are coming to a situation where you should want the cops to come. Or if you couple this with something like, you know, American History X or even, you know, the other wake up call to America movies like Kids, Mm. I, I... I'm just I just I, all of those movies are so much better than this and I just don't know showing that sort of sensationalism obviously paints it so broad with such broad strokes that I don't know who you're talking to you're not trying to convince someone who works for Stormfront and and again all of that all of the their actions look I understand that people have those thoughts and they may end up saying that stuff within sort of close quarters like this the lady who worked for Stormfront was also somewhat apologetic for working for Stormfront and like keeping I, like not a lot lot of it rang true what really rang true for me I, a lot of what 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 really rang true and the stuff that they i thought that they did really well was the first 15 minutes where you you get that spin back on oh shit she just told a white kid to go tell off a person of color janitor for no reason whatsoever for just doing her job and there was a there was a point in, in the conversation at the church where they were like, one of the things we need to be doing is belittling Black parents in front of their Black kids. That's the stuff to me that was really, really powerful and really, really eye-opening. And I just don't think there was nearly enough of that. And I think it was so squashed under all of the ramped up rhetoric and and the just the hyperbole. And again, I know that may not be the case, but it just so much of it that it gets all of the subtle little pins that were you really need to be afraid of are squashed under the oh yeah well obviously we hate this person who is is doing Nazi salutes out in a, in a church parking lot. I'm with you with the moments of sensationalism
0: where that detracts from the more nuanced messaging of the film. I mean because this this film I, I, when we talk about audience and like who's this for? I don't th- I, I don't know, I don't know if the filmmaker was even thinking in terms of audience more in terms of you know social commentary right? Th- th- this is what this. Filmmaker kind of sees happening, and, and and we have seen, I think, enough of this on white women being captured on social media, kind of going crazy. I mean, she was, I guess, the filmmaker was inspired in part by the black bird watcher in Central Park and the white woman who called the cops on him, and so right. this idea of. And, and, and the character Emily says this in the film of being soft and quiet. So they don't they don't expect like us. They don't they won't they won't be looking at us. Like This is great. Right? I think this is a really good kind of social commentary. But I, I, and so I do. But I do agree with you on the end I was this is the wrong word that's not really the wrong word I was bored at the by the by the ending I was bored by that the moment of of, of extreme violence what's well, so obvious right you it's know such, it was, and it's
1: so very bad things too it's just this it now it's a comedy of errors and it shouldn't be like right. I, I would have bought into this like had they gone you know and there's movies that have done this to, to varying degrees but say these women like if you pull back and realize these women are in Charlottesville right and they're about to go. And one of them, like it, it, and again, I don't, I would never say to sensationalize someone's own like realistic death like that. Right. But had it have been where one of the women hit somebody in a car with one person, you know, or if they had just shown up to a, to a march, or I just don't know if the home invasion aspect undercuts what... The, again, and like you said, I know it may not be a, scenario, it may be a message film, but undercuts the the severity of the first 40 minutes or 45 minutes that you've watched where these women are just being hateful and awful. And to see, again, soft and quiet is not what they ended up being, right? I mean, they ended up... And so I understand that's... Part of it as well, right? I mean, but to personify it to a, to a to 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 two women that have a personal connection to them, I think is a mistake. I think putting that, watching these women go out into society and and act on their bigotry is the much more powerful message. I I
0: I agree. I would have I would have rather have seen them enact some of those things they were talking about in the meeting, right? The belittling of of parents or
1: these. Here is what I would have. Loved. Like, they're right?
0: not microaggressions but i mean th- you know what i mean is like actions that are 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 less than like killing someone
1: right and i i, 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 I go back to what i mean I, I understand making you uncomfortable is part of the point of this but i was film. more uncomfortable
0: before the ending like i was sure. more uncomfortable with the conversations that were taking place because i'm like jesus people actually fucking say this shit it's terrible when we get to the the ending where where they're <clears throat> where they kill the two women. That, I think, like you said, sort of,
1: it devolves into a trope. That we that we've seen how many times before yeah I, I think there's almost a, a lot of a lot of what they're saying to me kind of felt a little too much on the nose I, I feel like this would have been better served had they have toned down the obviousness of their actions and and, and even of their words where like had they've gone in and not used Aryan as had that not been an Aryan meeting but a meeting to start a Christian fundamentalist, white school, it wasn't so much about where these women thought that they were actually doing good rather than self than being self-serving. Cause I think that's really where the, the harm, you know, and, and you know, I'm no sociologist or, and I'm, I, you know, I, but I, <laughs> I just feel like if you look at it from such stark terms and it's one thing where like again you never get the only reason that these women and again i'm not i know that this is not necessarily a point of the movie of of making them realize the ills of their ways but the only time that these women ever say sort of like take a look back and 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 fear what they've done is when they've taken it to an extreme like if you couple that with something or you 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 compare that to american history x where and again whether you like that movie or not there's a moment that movie where the african-american principal goes to derek vineyard edward norton's character and it's like you can hate me all you and it's not i'm 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 paraphrasing but the ultimate is what he's saying is you can hate me all you want but at one point is this any of this made your life any better i I just think and again if you go just to the just the other extreme of comparing it to something like kids which is was was presented as a america this shit's going on underneath your nose whether you like it or not this is what you know where your kids are if this had been a hey do you know what your white women are doing kind of movie but it would But kids never ratcheted up to a murder. Right. There were definitely scenes, but that would have been more that would have been more interesting watching these women like interact and just be these subtle little moments of knowing that they were who they were and trying to dig at the progression of society and trying to, to pull back and to try to hurt people because of who they were. Is a much more powerful message than oh well okay we accidentally killed two people of color and now we're going to go bury them and and we hope we don't get caught.
0: Yeah, I I think I like this movie more than you did, but yeah, that third act doesn't doesn't work for me either. And I do think that yeah, the the more powerful met and I, I I also think the filmmaker is trying to be over the top. I mean, I but also sure. sort of play that down so it's not like full satire, but it is you know I think. I think some of the on the noseness is intentional. The filmmaker actually is a sociologist. Did you know that she has no, a yeah not. yeah she has a degree in sociology. Um, but I mean, I, what I mean is, I think she's thinking about these these things. Right. I think she's thinking a lot about these things. And and, and I think that yeah, I, I just think like we both said that that third act is is a misstep and sort of takes away
1: from the power or, or other powerful moments in in the story. It doesn't let the film breathe at all and and, and a film that desperately needs a breath because you are bombarded with women who are essentially screaming at each other the entirety of the movie. From 15 minutes in, there's always some sort of conflict. They're always in some sort of agitated state and it's just... Women yelling at each other or yelling across rooms, and it is exhausting. It it is a very unpleasant film. That's that's part of the point too. I mean, that's part of that sort of single
0: single take you know effect, or or feeling like you're in a confined, closed space. And I,
1: I, I will say the single take effect was was a really brilliant step of filmmaking. I think that that ratcheted up the tension the entire time and kept you on your toes and also it didn't allow the audience to breathe. I just, again, that, that third act yeah. for me just, just makes it fall apart. Also, yeah, I don't I really think- understand. Like the, I, I, I think this is a movie that's, it, it, interesting. Interesting to pick apart. You have the, the the only male character that shows up is is another point that I don't know if it fully. I'm not sure what the fully the movie fully knows what it wants to do with that character and what it wants to say there because it's at one point being shown as he's like you know these are women that are deferring to their men but then when it push comes to shove she calls him a cuck she slaps him he slaps himself they don't listen to him Um, he seems to be the only real racist voice of reason throughout the entire thing (laughs) yeah he's still racist but but he has a voice of reason he's kind of like this is what are you doing stop (laughs) this is stupid Get out of here! And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think your mileage may vary. I, you know, and on how you feel yeah. about this, but, but for me, it, it, I, yeah, it just, it just kind of, I think it kind of pulled the rug out for me, and I, I, I don't, I obviously, I'm not going to go back to this, but uh, I'm no. glad I watched it, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if it was all that shocking, really, and I don't really think it's one of those movies that this is a wake up call. I think this is not something that people aren't aware of. I think people, I, I think that we see this played out, you know, and it, it we see it, we, you know, we, you've seen the Charlottesville shit that went on and, yeah. and, and you see it day to day to day. I mean, it's not like it's, it's not this is not hidden anymore. So, so I'm, i have like a- Kids I have with. a question. Yeah, I, I have a
0: question about about audience. Then, like, if we're not sure who this film is for, because, like you said, you she's kind of preaching to the converted. A real life, you know, version of one of these women is not going to sit down and watch this film and go, "Oh, I recognize myself in that." So, what does that, or how does that affect films like this? Like, does there need to be any other audience than just? us and what i mean is people who already agree with those things because i, I think this and again like, like this is me being political sorry
1: no no, no. but i think I but true. i think
0: i think we're very much in this realm of like i'm not going to watch one of those kirk cameron like left behind films i'm just not going to there's going to be other things that i'm not going to watch i'm not going to read conservative literature. Sh- listeners, if you didn't know by now, I'm a flaming progressive, like liberal, right? I mean, or I guess progressive and liberal don't go together, but anyway, you know what I mean? I'm out there on the left, right? But I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to, and I understand, you know, know the voice of your enemy, but I'm not going to read this shit. I'm not going to watch like racist propaganda. So how do we, I mean, I, I guess in terms of audience, how do we get people then to sort of like view that? I, I don't mean for you to answer that question. No, no, but no, no, no. I yeah, but you know I, what I mean.
1: But I go back to something like American History X, which I think yeah. also presents these dangerous ideas in very compelling ways. <sighs> if you go back and watch American History X and you just cut out the first half of the well, I know it goes back and forth right at time jumps. But if you take that scene with Edward Norton outside of the the convenience store, that's owned by i think a korean family now and he's talking to this group of white you know young adults the message that he's sending is horrifically incorrect but compelling it's compelling to to a group of disassociated and dis, you know uh, and disaffected youth and then to show the flip side of that to then show the the the, the detriment and and the destruction that his anger His misplaced anger had on his family, had on his own life, you know, had on his community and then to show again in that movie shows also the little barbs and the little pinpricks and, and and the subtlety of racism and how it permeated his life and led him to 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 see himself as an other and superior and to seek out this Nazi organization within his own community. I think that, I don't know, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being uh, too Pollyanna to, 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 and, and to think that that might actually have changed somebody's mind. And if you are sitting there watching a, you know, if you, if you are having those tendencies or those thoughts, I can see where you, you, if you find yourself compelled by what Derek is saying in one scene, maybe you find yourself compelled by what ends up happening to Derek at the end of that movie. Again, I know it's all hyperbole, right? And it's all, it's all fiction and story for this. Everything is, I mean, right. Sure, sure, sure. But, and, and so, yes, I, I get, I get the point the the left, but I think the point of even like the left behind stories, right? I mean, if you're, is, is that they're trying to show in, in comical, not comical ways. I mean, they end up being comical. comical (laughs) Unintentionally. of, of, Oh shit, you don't get your house right and you don't believe in Jesus, then you're gonna die in hell when all the when all when the retribution comes, right? There's I, I, again, who's it for? What's the message you're trying to show? If you're just trying to wake us up, if you're just trying to show us that bad shit and racist shit exists, I think we know that. I think and I don't think showing it in hyper stylized, hyper sensationalized ways does anything other than forces. It does anything other than reinforces a worldview that people like this exist and they are monsters and they should be vilified. We can get into this debate all night long about how you actually deal with racists and and how you you on an individual basis and on on a on a group scale. For for this movie, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure what it does. I'm not sure what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah.
0: Again, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm with you. I think, overall, in terms of the of the film. But I I think I'm always going to be curious about how we get the other side to listen and pay attention, because I still think and not to not to keep belaboring this point. But I I still think there is a a large amount of the population here in the United States that doesn't believe that, that racism is a problem or they don't believe that they are. Are racist. They wouldn't see what they're doing as as racist. They mistake, or they would they would couch it as a pride in in their own history and ethnicity. And then, because we hear this right from from um, people in in the South flying the Confederate flag. Oh no, it's just our our heritage, our history as slave owning people. Right. <laughs> but, and, 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 and again, like I mean, and and I've heard enough. I've heard enough people, you know, younger than you and I say, well, racism doesn't exist. We elected a black president. And again, I, I'm, I'm being I'm, I'm this is very basic rhetoric. And and this rhetoric has been explored by people smarter than myself. But I still think that that's there. And so, I mean, I think that, yes, a lot of us know racism exists, but I I still think there are those people and too many of them and some who serve in the House of Representatives, back to that idea, that 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 think that we are post-racist, right? That that think that we don't need to teach the negative side of U.S. history, things like slavery and that. It, right. Anyway, well, okay. you know where I'm so, talking about. Yeah.
1: So then what you do is you take this movie and you make something like White Man's Burden, right? Which sure. I mean, it's not a, sure. Which is not a good movie necessarily, but it's an interesting one. White Man's Burden is Sidney Poitier and John Travolta and basically the race Wait, Harry Belafonte isn't it? oh is it Harry Belafonte I thought it was Sidney Poitier but yeah I think Sydney Poitier would have probably been too old for that
0: well because Sidney Poitier was uh who's coming to dinner right look right. who's coming to dinner
1: yeah, it's I apologize. It's been a minute. And I didn't look it up. I just I but I, but I remember seeing no, no, it but but, but that, that that's a really good example, I think. I'm, please keep going. No, I so I think you, you I think you show what the what the actual results of this thinking is, right? And it's not yeah. that we're going to go and accidentally murder two people of color. Yeah, that happens, right? I mean, I understand. But turn one of them into a cop, you know? I mean, yeah. like there's social stories For to sure. be told here that they're not that they they just that she just sensationalized for again, a comedy of errors. Now you're just trying to figure out, oh shit, can they are they gonna clean up all the fingerprints? Now this turns into an episode in SVU, right? Where I like, oh shit, are these people gonna get out of this? <laughs> are, are, how are they gonna get out of this sticky situation? Find out next week on fucking <laughs> and quiet. Dum <laughs> Right. And again, I I don't want to get the impression that I hated this movie. I just want to, I just I I I'm confounded by it, which I guess is good, right? I mean, right. anytime you're gonna tell me that that. A movie is the most controversial, the most shocking. You look, I'm a sucker, right? I'm gonna like my ears are gonna perk up. I'm gonna go. I'll watch that shit. You tell me it's the worst movie ever. I'm probably gonna watch that. Um, I just this seems like it had something. It wanted to accomplish something. I just don't know what that accomplishment was because if it's just showing people that there are fucking horrible people out there, again, I think we know that, right? I think that you can see that. It and again, not to get overly political, but I think you can see that over in the past, even when Obama was elected, this idea of that one we're either post-racist or that once or we've re-enabled and we've we've reinvigorated pockets of society that felt like they were hiding. And now they're not, okay, show me the, show me what happens then. What do you think happens then? It's not home invasion. It's not. right. And and if it is, it's on a bigger scale than just, they're getting revenge on two people. They're not, and I understand this is a a scaled back story, but also did you couple it with a sexual assault of her brother on those two women? Again, you're making it personal, but you're not showing any sort of, like American history X makes it personal, right? American history X, Derek Vineyard's brother gets killed. He ruins his family. His family basically goes into poverty because he's no longer there. He kills a black man in in the street. He kills two black men in in the street. He goes to prison. His family is ruined. Like you don't show any of that, right? You're just showing, oh, well, yeah, these women's lives are going to be ruined. They're going to end up in jail. They're going to end up being charged with hate crimes. They're going to end up being vilified. But all we see... Is the horrific act and them covering it up, and then you get some sort of mild reprieve as this woman comes up for air. But then, even then again, like you don't even know if that's really a reprieve. And of course, I understand that's part of it as well. Is that this woman comes up and tells her story, and you they may not, she may not be believed. There's a there's a soft and quiet too that can be told here that that's the repercussions of this film. I yeah, but I just I don't think this film quite executed as well as it thinks it did and i see like people i read a lot of reviews online about how it was people's top 10 and i can't imagine it being Mm. a a favorite film of anybody just because it was so awful to watch and to i don't know i don't know it it just like i say like oh this is a wake-up call but i just i just i mean like i think those people are the ones who already thought that there were people that are meeting like this and you know, this has been going on forever. I mean, it's, you know, this is this, yeah. So this is, yeah, I get it's a modern day clan, but you're not, I don't think you're surprising anybody by showing that a Aryan woman's meeting is going on in a church or that women are joking around with a swastika or upset that a Colombian woman gets promoted over them at a job where they've been at there at the same time. Yeah. I don't think you're surprising anybody with that information. Whereas I keep going back to kids. People were surprised that, their kids were drinking and drugging and having sex and passing along AIDS and having unprotected sex and doing nothing all day besides, you know, getting uh, high and skateboarding. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 We are recording this on January 6th. So, uh, Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, a couple <laughs> good movie to
1: talk about when thinking about the insurrection. Uh, but I mean, okay. I, I, would, I, I, think everyone can see it once. I think everyone want to see one. I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear what other, other takes on it. Not that I didn't enjoy yours, but I mean, I'm just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, I would, no, no, <laughs> it sounded too, I, I think I, I am interested to see what she does next. I'm interested to see it, it, how, how the narrative continues to play out. If this is something that she, I, you know, to me, this is an easy film, not an easy film to make, but it's a, it's from a filmmaking perspective, this would be something, you know, it's, it's technically proficient, the, the handout camera's good, but it, I can see that this isn't, this is not a, you know, I'm interested to see what, what comes next, especially since she got picked yeah. up by Bloomhouse and to see if, they, if he invests in her movies moving forward. Yeah, I I think this is
0: innovative enough in its attempt to tell a story that we are disappointed with the payoff at the end. And I think so I think this is actually I think your sort of frustration with the movie is actually in a strange way praising the film
1: because absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, be, of be angry about a movie than be bored by it right i mean right. I, if, if, right. if it didn't do anything for me if it didn't have when we spurred we've been talking about this for 40 fucking minutes now so i mean I like, know, I, I know. right so i mean like there's something to be said about this film so yeah no no no. i, I agree with you that that yeah. i definitely think it should be seen i don't necessarily think everyone's gonna love it and i don't think it's actually gonna i don't know how many minds it's gonna change but i the conversation that that could be had I, I think the conversation about how we change our audience is a good one to have and yeah I,
0: I i do too and i think i think movies like this kind of start that conversation even if they don't fully get there right right okay anything else on soft and quiet because you weren't no. soft and quiet about that film <laughs> I absolutely was not soft and quiet. no i it think is, we can move on to
1: is, terry yeah.
0: gilliam it is it is worth checking out though but yes let's let's move on to terry gilliam and and brazil
1: Do you wake from your finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare? Is your mother about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams... I love you. In my dreams, I love you. ...still have a few doubts? Then it's time to take a stand. To break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're So pleased you could make it. Brazil is Sam is a uh, is a lower level employee in some sort of big conglomeration. We're in we're in a dystopian future where everyone seems to work for. Uh, an information society. That's, this is very 1984. There's a there's a big brother that looks after, over all of us. All of our homes are connected via tubes that are bringing us information. Um, Sam is a basically a pencil pusher in this organization who has flights of fancy. He he thinks of himself as a as a angelic warrior fighting for the good of of, of himself and humanity. And and he has this this ideal of a woman um, that loves him unconditionally. And so he is kind of middling around in his career. And, you know, and, and it's is basically a daydreamer. His life is full of he comes from he comes from, a, he comes from a, fa- a prominent family. His mother uh, has money. She is constantly getting um, plastic surgery done to herself to, in order to 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 make herself more beautiful and to make herself more attractive to younger men. And so at one point, you know, as we start our story, uh, we meet Sam. We also meet um, a- another person in a different organization who is overseeing people who are committing crimes against against the corporation. And in his office, he is there's a bug that's bothering him. He goes up to smack the bug. Um, he does smack the bug. It falls it's on the ceiling and it falls down into his apparatus that's telling him who to arrest or telling the police who to arrest. And it changes the name from uh, Henry Buttle to Henry or Henry Tuttle to Henry Buttle. And then we watch the Gestapo-esque police uh, basically cut through the roof of um, Henry Buttle's Christmas celebration. Take him away and basically lead him to his death. You don't find that out until later, but they lead him to his death all throughout this. Uh, Sam is kind of at the forefront of this because he figures out that it was a it was a, a, miss, a piece of misinformation. His boss, it, it, the information comes to him. They they find out that they've been it was they got the wrong guy. They got um, Buttle instead of they got Buttle instead of Tuttle, and so Sam is given a check to pay off uh, Tuttle's wife and. I, I'm explaining this and it's all fucking this nonsense. I don't know why. I'm, I, I, so at some point, like really, all you need to know is, is that Sam is stumbles upon this information. He goes to find he, he goes to correct the he goes to correct the mistake. And he finds out that his dream woman is living above the person who's been arrested. Literally and, the woman from his dreams. <laughs> right. And he tries to move up within his organization so he can find out more information about her all the while the organization is trying to hunt her down because she's causing problems so at, at certain point that he tries to save her and that land that lands him in hot water as well uh, during all of this he actually meets the actual henry tuttle who's being pursued and he's played by robert de niro and he's kind of this Superman-esque type disruptor within the machine uh, that kind of pops in and pops out of his life to kind of goad him into fighting back against the corporation that he's a part of. This all culminates. Sam understands that Jill is in trouble with the corporation. He breaks her out and they seemingly escape together in order to live happily ever after the organization turns on sam captures him uh, prov- provides him with a lobotomy and sam believes in his head that him that he and jill are living happily ever after that's if you watch the director's <coughs> cut there is a happily ever after cut where he actually does get jill wow. And then there's a theatrical cut that's an hour and 32 minutes, 10 minutes shorter than the director's cut. This is this was a movie that when it came out, it was – I think this movie is served more by its the, the lore around its making than it actually is the film itself. This is a movie that I, I like. Uh, I, I Well, this is a movie that I admire. I don't necessarily like this movie. I, 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 I don't think it's – of the imagination trilogy, I don't think it's funny enough. And I don't think it's, I just think I find I find it overly dour and dark and I understand that that's part of it, but I just, I, to me, this is not of the three movies that we're going to talk about. This is the least enjoyable, my, my least favorite of all of them. Mm. And I, there's, there's one funny line to me in this that stands out and t- when he's at the dinner party and he's talking to the girl, um, he's talking to the to the plastic surgeon, and he's and he's talking about putting how, how he clipped her ears and and they don't stand out anymore. And he thinks on my breasts. And he's talking about her breasts. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the doctor's like, um, yeah, she she had her ears pinned back. And he's like, uh, he's like, what did you think they? And he's like, oh, no, I, I just thought she wore fake ears. I thought she was had fake ears. <laughs> I'm doing the joke. No justice whatsoever. That's the funny part. Uh, it's, it's true. Yeah. I, I, the the movie is very visually interesting. I think the movie is too long. I think an hour, a two hours and twenty two minutes, it goes on. It, it it indulges itself way too much. Um, I, I you know, he, this is where Gilliam had the budget to do, this is his blank check movie, right? I mean, we go back to not trying to compare ourselves to blank check because that they do that, what we do better, but, uh, and because they, <laughs> they have a bigger audience and a bigger budget and, and, and then, you know, they've just been doing it longer. You know, when we get to 500 episodes. And they, and, and they also, you know, come from within the industry. So. Right. Right. So they've got better insight than just two and apes <laughs> mucking around on the internet. Um, but, but I went this to is, school. I know things. <laughs> this, this, he clearly had a budget for his his vision for this. I do think it could have. Served him to rein it in a bit and tighten this up. I don't think every beat of this story, going back to the plastic surgery over and over and over again, or driving home some of these points. This movie is very loud and it's very, you know, it's very bombastic. And 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 this, like all of the things that that Python had done, and this and what Gilliam had done up until this point, are kind of ramped up to 11 and i think it distracts a little bit from i think price is great i i, I think jill who's who plays jill kim, kim greist yes yes i think i think the two leads are great I, I, but I find, I just find this film kind of a slog to get through at times. And it's, like I said, I think it's just too long. I, I, and again, I, I'm, I'm not for one, had he had more to say or had, had the story moved along, but we bounce back and forth so many times going back to the, you know, you, you find out this, you, and you, you go back to the, um, you know, the organization and, and there's danger here and then there's danger there. And there's, well, we, then, then he's got to distrust her. And that beat, the distrust beat happens an hour and a half in and you still got an hour to go. It's, I don't know, like you feel this like weirdly odd since we go back and forth, you know, and, and so you go back and forth between the, the you know, him, him being in a space where he's, exuberant and happy and, and I don't know. I, I just feel like it could be... T- I, I just feel like when I'm watching it when I watched it at the Fort Worth Film Club and when I watched it again for the podcast, like I know all the beats and I'm just like, okay, let's get past this one and let's get past this one because there's I, I know that there's no real stakes here. We've got so much time left in this movie that I think it kicks back in when you realize that he is going to be lobotomized and I think I, I do think that Gilliam's vision and his version of this movie is the best version that he put out. The Ending anyway. I don't necessarily think it needs to be 142 minutes long. And
0: I and and I agree that it's. I think it's a bloated film.
1: I think there's too much going on that the plot doesn't sustain it. Sorry, I mean to step on you, but the plot doesn't sustain it, right? I mean, like this is not enough of a movie to have to to be that right. This is a simplistic story, and I know you. And and this is a problem where. And we can talk about this in a minute about Gilliam as a whole. But this is a problem with this is that you have these visionary directors, right? And there's certain ones of these that really, truly need an editor. And I don't think in this point in Gilliam's career, like he was so contentious. And I read, I've read all the quotes and like Gilliam is so like, you know, let the artist do it and let the artist do what they wants to do. And like, don't get the fucking money men involved in all this stuff. Part of me really, truly believes that as well. I do believe that. I do believe that. Every great novel had a a great editor involved in it as well. I mean, like there's people that help out and and help call this story down. And for this story, the Brazil story is a man is in love with this imaginary woman and he finds her and he's trying to break out of this workaday life, this this drudgery and and to be with her. And he just doesn't know how to do that. That's the story. It's a simplistic story. Right. right? Right. And but what we're left with is. We're going to go here. We're going to go here. We're going to go here. We're going to show you all of these pieces. Like none of that is really all that necessary, and everything else. I, I don't know. The, all of, how this plot moves from piece to piece just starts to get drawn out and 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 overlong, and and it it. I think it bogs itself down.
0: So Gilliam needed his own version of Gordon Lish. Do you know Raymond Carver's work? Yeah, yeah. Sh- okay, bit, so you know, the- I'm not, like I'm not a huge, I mean, but yeah, I Well, you know, I mean, I mean, Carver Carver wrote these short stories, and and Gordon Lish was an was his editor, and Lish cut them down to the bone, so that his edited versions are the Carver we recognize. Later on in Carver's career, when he kind of sobered up, he was so upset with Lish that, you know, he kind of was like, you, you destroyed my work and this is not what I wanted it to be. But anyway, like like Lish's versions, this isn't that controversial, but there is kind of an argument in the literary world about this, or at least there was. Lish's versions are better. It, Carver was better with Lish as his editor. His longer stories or the stories that he kind of restored are not as good. But this goes back to your point that, that like, yes, sometimes, you know, the artist should, yes, be able to do what they what they want to do. But also, I don't know that Gilliam could really tell us or show us why he made some of the decisions that he made in this film. Back to your point about the plot kind of jumping everywhere. It's a bunch of non sequiturs. And I understand that that comes from his time with Monty Python and it's kind of like bouncing back and forth. But you're right. I mean, this look, this is the middle film of the trilogy of imagination, right? We start with childhood. We move into sort of, for lack of a better term, let's call it middle age or adulthood. And then we end up, you know, in in old age. This should be the darkest of the three because frankly, adulthood is the darkest time. I mean, this kind of what between, you know, 30, 50, 60, whatever. Sam is mid-30s, early 40s, mid-40s in this in this film. This is going to be kind of his darkest time. This is the time where he really needs to engage in that idea of imagination and how that can help him escape this loaded, burdened, bureaucratic world that he lives in. And I think, so this is what some of the things that I think Gilliam gets right is this kind of dystopian cityscape where there's a ton of pollution. So instead of like payphones, you have, you know, Things that you can like get oxygen from a ton of pollution, hyper consumerism, an insane amount of bureaucracy. It's it's a fascist kind of police state. I think this is good. I think this leads to someone like Price's character who has no no motivation to move above where he is. He does not want a promotion. He's been offered a promotion however many times, and he's just like, nope, I'm good. But again, I I, I think that is a good that's a good trade, right? That. Or that that's a good character trait right in this film is that he doesn't have that ambition. And again, he daydreams to get out of this, uh, out of these doldrums that he's in, but the rest of the shit around it, it's like, why is it there? What is it doing? I don't even know what De Niro's character is really meant to serve other than the illusion at the end of the film, because right. other than that, he's, he's a renegade heating, <laughs> heating air technician. Right. right Which right. and, and, and terrorist. Okay, this when also like the the terrorist you know, the war with the terrorists that has been going on for thirteen years. I mean, it was just beginner's luck. Uh, there are some. Bad, I thought that was a funny line, but but yeah. So much of this other stuff just doesn't serve the story. I think it just could have been cut out. I don't need De Niro's character there like at all because we can see before Sam gets tortured we see him go into madness and that's great i don't need
1: i don't need de niro right to right. come in and say it could have been anything else and I, I agree with you i like the themes here i like i like this idea of this this feeling of hopelessness i agree with you that 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 the middle eight that the middle movie needed to be the darkest one but if you compare it with the other two there's there's so much world building with this that doesn't Payoff in a sense where like if you compare it to the the movies if i'm going to show you what i I talk about recommended if you like like all of the stuff that he that gilliam really paid attention to in this movie it feels like gilliam paid way more attention to the set decoration and and the background posters which I, i i do think add to the aesthetic and i do think add something to it but i do think that that should have been secondary I think he could have he could have made his 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 point a little bit more clear when he's making this movie. And so that's what I think. I think I, I mean again, you go back to as we get to 142 minutes. And I don't keep on bringing that back up. I think he fell in love with every element that he wanted to put on screen, and and wasn't able to to cull it back to just show Jonathan Price's character. Because if you look at something like Munchausen, it has a story that jumps around, but it also always is moving forward. And I, again, you can argue uh, the whole point of the middle ages of your life and whether that does that or not, or whether you, I, I think both the bookend movies, both have threads And I think you can see the evolution of him as a storyteller too, and and his evolution of a storyteller that's moving out of the shadow of being a Python and a sketch comedy guy, right? because if I know we both, I don't Did you end up watching Jabberwocky? I didn't. I did okay. So
0: after, after you made the comment, I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to. And I understand enough of what the film was about. So I can, I can almost picture that film without having seen it. I can almost I mean, it's, understand. It's
1: an unfunny Holy grail, right? I mean, it's, it's right. a, of the moment. I, I know that it's one of those movies where like it's, it helps if you're aware of all the British comedy legends that are in it, but it is, it is some of the special effects are really good. Like, I mean, like the gore is is really funny and, and effective. And the last 15 minutes are really pretty good and kind of subversive. But to that point, man, you've got a lot of shit to crawl through, right? right? Right, and like, oh, I mean, almost like literally, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's ugly and it's hard. It, the mix is bad. It's hard to, 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 you know, it's, right. it's got that problem that Python films had that you were willing to forgive them of because they were so funny and it didn't really matter. Right. Like, so like if, it, if an explosion is going on or people burst into the door and you can't quite hear the dialogue, well, you know, something's funny is coming up in the next, you know, Thirty seconds. Jabberwocky has none of that. It just, to me, it was just a, it was a total, you know, like you're just going through mud the entire time. Yeah. Time bandits to me is, is really where he starts to find, you know, that is, is where he starts to find his own footing as, as in his own voice. Um, and I, I don't want to skip over, you know, talking about Brazil, but, it, but it, And I, 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 but I do think, I do think that, that the history behind the film adds to the allure of the film. This idea of, because I mean, ultimately, Gilliam is Sam, right? In this case, he's fighting against these, this, this Hollywood machine that doesn't want him to live his dreams and, and put out the vision of himself that he wants to put out. And so I think all of this, the, the, the film that has, that's been on the Criterion shelves since the LaserDisc era, and you've heard all these stories about the the happy ending and the you know are the you know the feel good ending and the the theatrical cut and the director's cut and you've got all you got a 18 disc and it's not that many I'm being ridiculous <laughs> but an 18 disc LaserDisc set and and you know it's been on it's it's been a staple of the Criterion collection since the Criterion collection was a, started and so this idea of Gilliam and I weirdly I think he's fed into that. I think he's bought into that story of him as being an auteur that's put upon and, you know, should just be left alone. Uh, I think Brazil kind of shows that it, it, look, I, I admire the film. I admire the themes. I just don't enjoy it that much
0: no and, and and you're not going to get much of an argument from from me there i th- i again you know, i think it's too long i think it's bloated i think that the story could have been paired back and you could have kept a lot of the or all of the same visual effects and, and and visual set design i don't think you needed all of the i mean i get like here's the thing like did we even need sam's mother i think she's great i think that <clears throat> Catherine hellman is 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 fantastic but I don't really know what she's adding to the story other than she gets him the promotion. I mean, you can fix that that pretty easily. Right. I mean, but 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 those are those kind of, you know, segues and non sequiturs. Okay, I mean, the plastic surgery gab, you know, gag. Sure. Right. That's still a prominent thing. But it's not nearly as interesting as the other things going on. The other things about how we how we get through this absurd life and absurd society we find ourselves in. And and I think that, that if we, you know, focusing on that, but again, he's going to, he's sort of just kind of playing free association. It feels like, oh, and now let's do this and let's do this and let's do this. And yeah, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of that I, I didn't need. Where I think, like you said, with Munchausen, there's much more direct connections with everything that happens. And we're always going back to, I mean, Sarah Polly even says, what about the people, you know, <laughs> we need to help them. And he's like, they're fine, right? And then we, we we cut back to it, right? But we're always going back to that. We know we're always going back to that. Everything kind of is connected and seems to have more of a reason than Brazil did. So I think the themes are are really good. I think, I think that there's a lot that we can recognize outside of our windows right now. It, it, regardless of, uh, uh, you know, working in Hollywood, like, you know, Gilliam is sort of looking at this bureaucracy, dragging him down. We all have some other kind of bureaucracy sort of keeping us down that we want to fight against and just don't
1: fucking know how. Yeah. And the cynicism this film has towards its protagonist, too, is... Is somewhat bizarre because you're meant to see Sam as this guy you want to break out. You want to see him as the golden god with the long flowing hair and the wings, saving the woman. And but really, you put him in a nightmare hellscape where he clearly, well, clearly he potentially has severe mental health issues, right? right. A, and also a sense of privilege. And like it's a there, there, are, there are things to unpack here. But but this movie, it it it's, it, it really just doesn't feel like it likes any of its characters and if it, it and not even not even Jill really I mean uh, you know and I, I I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of how I feel about Jill and, and what kind of agency she has she's not much of a character in the film yeah, yeah. I I mean, like she's,
0: she's an idealized version of look he he's put her on a pedestal immediately right we all know how problematic it is when we put people especially women in relationships on pedestals I mean she's going to well and she does <laughs> because she gets killed but you know she's going to fall off that pedestal she can never Ever live up to sort of Sam's romantic dreamlike vision of her. And and so I think, you know, she's a truck driver. Right? She's kind of like a long haul truck driver. She also may or may not be a terrorist, but also she's always being chased by Sam and then chased by the authorities. And she doesn't really get to make any any choice. She ends up where Sam wants her to end up, which is in bed with him. Right. And so, so I think she's I think she's a sketch of a character. And like, I'm not going to go as far as to say that, you know, he's misogynistic in his portrayal of her. But I just don't think she is given much agency if any at all,
1: right, right. I'm trying to think about all these movies in, as a, as a whole, where where the protagonists. You know, you obviously you can see all of these films as potentially not actually happening, right? They could all be in in the, each protagonist's head. And I think we probably should go back and talk directly about Time Bandits <laughs> and and One Thousand. Uh, yeah. yeah. But kind of putting them all together. I'm just trying to figure out, like, was this truly a trilogy that that Gilliam had, or was this something that we go back and retrofit onto? Clearly, there's themes that go across all three films. Or, 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 Or is this really some sort of like, was this was there method in the madness here of making these three films? And this is exactly what he wanted to get across. Or did he make three films that and then put together a, a blanket of, well, this is my imagination trilogy. And, and so I think that this is an interesting question.
0: And, and Gilliam has said, and again, whether this was like a retrofitted comment or not, but Gilliam has said that he thinks in trilogies. Um, and so the films that he did after this, uh, Fear and Loathing, Uh, fisher king King and 12 monkeys were his trilogy of a of americana or whatever okay Uh, sure but again like did you go back and say that or would you actually is that how it was meant to be i do think though that these three films whether or not they're meant to be trilogies are connected and i think too i mean because we have childhood right in time bandits we have this kind of like working adulthood in brazil and then we have old age um and Munchausen, there is that kind of through line between them. Also, I think they're all dealing with, you know, how we use imagination to deal with everything around us, how we, how we, how we acknowledge the, absurdity of this world. And I don't mean ha ha funny absurdity, but I mean like Camus absurdism, which is like, you know, we're alive and there's no reason for us to be here. Everything that is going on, none of it really matters. But how do you make, how do you make meaning? How do you make these things matter to you? This is why we have to imagine Sisyphus as being happy, pushing the boulder up the hill over and over again. That was his purpose. And so I do think there is that kind of connective tissue through all of them. There's also that connective tissue of stories and stories we tell. Ourselves and the importance not to be all Oscar-y, but the importance of stories and sort of how we get through the day or get through life. So even if he didn't intend for them to be a trilogy, I I do think there's definitely enough connection there, just just kind of in content to to group them together.
1: So if you look at the bookends as entities, the protagonists that are desperately wanting to be believed right where the child and in, in time bandits is drug along this this adventure not ever really listened to and then at the end of it is set to question oh shit! now that my parents are gone what the fuck do i do with my life and then if you look at munchausen as a older man looking back on his life and desperately trying to convince people that what he told them was real and what actually happened to him, then where does Brazil fall into that story? Is it the fact that we've spent our middle ages trying to forget what's actually happening to us? Okay, that's <laughs> fucked up and now I feel shitty. That's yeah, not- no,
0: I, I, exactly. Look, when we are when we are kids, <clears throat> when we are kids, we are our most probably authentic, genuine selves, because we are willing to kind of try anything. We are willing to say, yes, we are curious creatures. We are trying to find things out. We are creative. No one has told us that we shouldn't spend our time painting and drawing and writing poems and making films. We don't have our parents telling us until we're a certain age that you need to put those childish things aside and go get a job as an accountant. Sorry it's all the accountants out there. But so we don't have that we just have we just have kind of this this freedom to do things we are we are at our most free and so yes by by the time we're like, you know, Sam's age in Brazil, we're trying to get that back, right? We, we, it, some of us, right? Not, right. not everyone, because a, a lot of people will never go back to dancing. will never go back to drawing. will never go back to composing shitty songs, right? Look, you should compose all the songs you want. I'm here right. for that. Yeah. Right? If you want to sing
1: out, sing out. Do it.
0: <laughs> to the point of this, right? To, to, to the point of what we're talking about. But so many people leave that behind and never pick it up again. And here I think, and this is the importance of like Sam's dreams, because while they are dreams and the dream is a metaphor, they are his literal dreams to be a hero and rescue this woman. And he's trying to enact that, right? He's trying to enact that dream in his real world. So yeah, I mean, I think that it it is, it's dark and depressing. He's he's left all of that creativity behind. And, and by extension, it's what Gilliam's telling us that we have done. Right? We have lost this childlike freedom. We have lost this childlike strength and authenticity to do the things we once dreamed about.
1: So if, and, so again, just trying to, just keep pulling the thread. Yeah. So if Kevin is Sam, so Kevin's the protagonist of Time Bandits, a little boy in Time Bandits, and then Sam becomes Baron Munchausen, then how did, do, that doesn't work though, right? That's- I, don't, I don't, I don't think they're the same character. I don't think. No, no. I don't understand, I understand, I understand yeah, but yeah. I'm just trying oh, to follow yeah. the thread yeah. right if you
0: were oh, sure okay. sure, because I don't but I don't think Kevin would ever become Sam the, and this is what is really interesting about about Kevin and Time Bandits is that we we open the film right with his parents sitting in front of the TV and he's reading a book <laughs> right about, about like uh, Greek myth. he's reading about Agamemnon right he's reading about Greek mythology and he's so enthralled by this book right I mean he is he is in a world of the mind while his parents right are in a world of, of things right of Consumerism. They're talking about new microwaves, new keeping up with new, the, the Joneses appliances. So. Keeping literally keeping up with yeah mm-hmm. the next door neighbors. Right. Um, and so I don't think Kevin would ever ever become Sam. I think I think Sam was one of those kids who sat right next to his parents in the plastic covered chairs, watching TV and dreaming about about those appliances. Right mm-hmm. where where Kevin's dreaming about having adventures.
1: <laughs> right. But I would argue though, that the, 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 the cautionary tale there then is that Kevin could very easily become Sam. Yes, with, definitely. If, if he's not careful, if does isn't considered, if he doesn't continue that sense of wonder, wonder, and even if he does where cause Sam still has that sense of wonder, but it's all now self and you know, it's all, it's all <laughs> related back to himself and trying to escape his world that you could, Play it that way as well. That if there's a danger there, oh, but sure. also then if I'm sorry, I, I keep. I, but there's a danger there it's where funny. Sam continues along that level of fancy, then he will also lose himself in a drud- in a drudgery where he's not paying attention to the world around him.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think this makes Brazil more interesting if if it is a cautionary tale of someone who once had this level of creativity and freedom and lost it, right? who who fell into this you know workaday routine and it hasn't been able to get. Those ideals and those and that sense of of wonder back. I think we'd much rather end up, or at least I would, as as Munchausen as
1: Baron oh, Munchausen. Yeah. Right? yeah, Munchausen <laughs> lived a <the> kick ass life, <laughs>
0: I, even if it was just in his head.
1: Right, right, absolutely. And that's the that's the thing where you know. And again, I don't want to give the impression that I don't respect Brazil for the accomplishment that it is. I just don't find it as enjoyable as the other two. I I think that that where Munchausen ends up is obviously a departure from where brazil ends i mean if brazil is telling us that we're all drudgeons right and that yeah. we're all going to be lobotomized automaton- you know the, the, this, we already the, are right these lobotomized robots that just go through life And that, you know, a real sense of adventure is, is, is lived and, and, and revitalizes us in the sense of Munchausen, right? Where he goes back and how he regains his youth is to go back and relive these stories, right? And go back and tell a young person about all the adventures that he had. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, to me, the one that I love the most, I love Munchausen the most. I I think that's, and I think, you know, I think Idol, Eric Idol comes in and and helps co-write Munchausen which makes it much funnier much more whimsical much more like Python without being Python there's so much like you the 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 bookends to these uh, to, to Brazil I know we can go step back if you want to I, I doesn't I mean how we bounce around and talk about them but the bookends to the Brazil love their characters so much so yeah let's take it, just go to let's go to time bandits so let's, yeah. let's go ahead and I'll, I'll yeah. summarize time bandits time yeah. Bandits is just about a kid named Kevin who is in this world where he is ignored by all the adults and basically doesn't have any friends in his life at all. He finds out that there's a portal to uh, you know a portal all throughout time basically through <laughs> all anywhere in the universe is is in his in his room um these these time bandits these little people who have stolen a map from the supreme being and their thieves are going and bouncing around time and they happen to bounce through Kevin's bedroom and take Kevin with them on all these adventures while they're outrunning the supreme being who wants to get his map back and outrunning the actual embodiment of evil who wants to steal the map for his own good all the while, Kevin is kind of enjoying the adventure as he's going through. See Robin Hood, Napoleon. They get on the Titanic. So they, they, they go to Titanic. They hit Napoleon. They hit Robin Hood. So it's very much a Bill and Ted, you know, kind of adventure. And you know, they face off against God, and they face off against Pure evil. You know, they face off against the devil or evil himself. Which is, evil is is so good? It's so it, uh, it's it's so much fun how they portray that when when
0: they're talking, when his like when his minions are asking him questions, asking evil questions. It's so great. I mean, it's it's sort of recreating that philosophical question of why does evil exist right well if you're all powerful why do you exist who created you it's it's just he just kills his minions like shut up right but it's such a great kind of you know discussion that we that we have all the time well if if god's great why does evil exist And my anyway
1: okay i also find like i also find time bandits like oddly progressive in the way that it handles its its little people protagonists because they're never played for jokes they're never played for yep. laughs they're given that had to have been a, a great role for all of them to, they're all given emotional arcs and oh, yeah. um yeah they're all you know they're all archetypes you know for for the most part i mean some of them are are you know dumber than others and things like that but but they're it's, I don't know, they're all such realized characters. And so we follow Kevin throughout, throughout this battle and, and he helps out the time bandits. Um, and they ultimately come down to a battle with evil and. The, the time bandits in a very Bill and Ted way bring in all of these characters from all around time to help defeat evil and Kevin ends up back home and after it's all said and done alas they didn't clean up all of the evil that they were supposed to clean up that it, that it exploded and his parents touch evil and, and blow up as his house has been caught on fire so you're as he comes back to his own time in his own bedroom you're led to believe that maybe this was all on Kevin's mind because his house is on fire because of some new tool or new new toaster that his parents had bought. And he's rescued by Sean Connery, the fireman at this point. And who, also, they, who also played Agamemnon. His parents open up the toaster oven. They see a bit of evil in the toaster oven. Kevin clearly tells them not to touch it because it's pure evil. They do anyway. And they explode and disappear. And... Sean Connery and the firemen drive off, and Kevin is left in the in the wreckage of a of a of a burnt down house, still as a child, with um the rest of his life to figure out. This was another mainstay staple of my childhood as well. I watched this all the time. I, I don't necessarily know if I really even appreciated it as a kid. I and I, I think the first 20 minutes of this movie is kind of a leap of faith. Like it takes a minute to for this to really kick off and get started and for you to start buying into. It. But once they get to Robin Hood, mm-hmm. it's kind of nonstop and it's it's funny. And and it's you know the it's dangerous and it's i don't know all the there's there's an actual you know weight to all of what's happening to me this was like like just the, the quintessential like kids movie for me was was time bandits i love this movie and i watched it over and over and over again
0: yeah i don't know when i came to this film i came to it later i don't remember seeing it as a kid um and i know that I'm a little younger than you, but not that much younger. I mean, so when I always joke about you being older than me, <laughs> I don't want I don't want people to get the wrong, <laughs> the wrong idea. But I don't remember it being on on TV. But, I, you know, I guess there's. I would have been like, well, like four or five when it was probably showing up because it, it, it came out in 81. So it had been like three yeah. or four years old and even like five or six when it was at the video store. And I I mean, I wasn't going to watch you know that stuff it, it it's that age
1: but this this played on HBO all the time like when i was 7 or 8 so Man, we didn't cool. ha- we didn't have HBO in my house <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I, you (laughs) know, I grew up in a very Sam esque existence where my my parents probably go to the library,
0: (laughs) (laughs) go ride your bike. HBO. What are you talking about? You got books. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but 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 I mean, even watching it now, it is it's such a romp and and yet there there is gravitas and there is i think you know stakes in here and we even see one of the characters die or get crushed you know at at the end now he comes back but
1: but you yeah, can, yeah, see can turn into dog character because it turns into pigs. I mean, like there's, there's there's stakes here that that are. And unlike unlike
0: Bill and Ted, when they when they bring in these historical figures, those historical figures, the cowboys, the knights, uh, they die. They, right. they end up kind of in these like grotesque formations that yeah. debt or that evil kind of puts them in. So there there is there is stakes. There is gravitas. But there's also.
1: Again, the lightness of an adventure film well, that I think. And when Kevin and the Time Bandits get split up and he meets Agamemnon, Agamemnon see, I did it, Agamemnon, for the first time. Like, that battle scene is scary. Like, he's yeah. battling a, a giant with a boar's head. Minotaur. He's a Minotaur. Minotaur. Okay, so... Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's actually battling a, an actual Minotaur. And well, not an actual one. They don't really exist, Jason, but in the what, world of films, they do. I've seen... I'm pretty sure I've been to the... I think they have one at the Fort Worth Zoo. Well, you're, you're an Argonaut, so... <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I... I, I this is... I you know again like and I, I hate to sound like a an an old person, but but I I don't know if kids' films these days have stakes like this. They have this kind of level of danger to them, or or like, like almost like inappropriateness mild inappropriateness of these films that that are kind of whitewashed today and kind of sanitized. This movie is ugly and dirty and it almost feels like as a kid when I was watching it, it almost felt like something I shouldn't be watching, right? I feel like it felt like it was more of an adult film that I was getting away with something. Um yeah, I I, I really adore adore this movie.
0: <laughs> this film really I think goes back to this idea of kids are more free in themselves, more curious and are more willing to go on these adventures, more willing to say yes than than the adults in the film who are who are settled down and kind of stuck in their way. And I think it helps that, that Kevin latches on to these, you know, time bandits because they they are in a way like him in that they just are looking for, I mean, money, right? And riches. Yes. But also a sense of adventure. I mean, they're just out there like, let's just go, let's go, let's go chop it up, right? Let's go, let's go, let's go see what happens when we do this.
1: How this story progresses and like, every time frame where they go to next ramps up the outrageousness of it all when they end up in the belly of the boat and it ends up being a hat on a giant that comes across <laughs> it. Like, there's so like to me this is where the overindulgence of a brazil hurts it this seems like all the indulgences that gilliam wanted to do and all the things that he wanted to explore and show really add to the adventure of this movie um where it, i think you know from a brazil standpoint kind of pull Back from it a little bit.
0: But well, this one seems more more inventive in a more appropriate manner. I mean, do you think that's because it's it's sort of being told from a from a child's perspective and the child has that bigger imagination? So these yeah, are the I think kind so. of things that, that take yeah. place. Yeah, I do. I mean, I do too. I think that I think that the the, the, the overindulgence of imagination matches up here where it doesn't. In in Brazil. I mean, well, look first, in Brazil, like who dreams of themselves with that hair and those wings? I I, I don't that's not how I would picture myself as a hero. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <You know? laughs> yeah, well, especially coming in that environment, right? I mean, like that, uh, that's not ah uh, yeah. You you yeah. would envision yourself more as Harry Tuttle than you would shining right. Knight, that doesn't really exist. Now, of course, all of the things that he that he again, which leads more towards the mental illness piece because all the things that he imagines especially the the monsters that he imagines are all so horrific right and the baby face the all of the you know the kind of machinations of the the horrible things that are that are trying to attack him he's trying to defeat are just so horrific in his in his own imagination i lost my thread there but that but
0: but again the, the 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 horribleness probably you know aligns with
1: the, the horribleness of being an adult but i but hate and, being an adult and 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 to go to back to time and that's what's fun about that is that when you get back to kevin's real life you see all of the things all of the things that he dreamed about all the toys that he played with which is why you're led to believe that it's potentially all in kevin's mind that he made all of it up are just aspects of his room or aspects of the of the things that ha- or you know that he has inside of his you know in you know that he plays with or that he writes about it reads about and so it's one of those things once you. Once he gets back and you you see the firemen break down the wall, you're like, okay, well maybe this was just all you know, just a kids' flight of fancy. Until he has the actual polaroids that that um, have given proof of what has transpired. So it's so much fun, and it's um,
0: but again, that level of of, of seriousness uh, works as well. I, yeah, I don't know. I I enjoyed that much more than I did Brazil for sure. Um, I think I'm with you where I I enjoyed Munchausen probably the most. Um, yeah, because I just think it's probably the, the Also the best put
1: together. I think Uh, it's the best realized. I think it does. I think it builds on each of the prior two films to be the best film. Again, I do think so. He brought in Eric Idle to help write it. And so I think that their collaboration and I think you can see Obviously, Idol's character got a pretty big role, but I think I think what what Idol brought to the table was just that 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 elevated sense of humor. I don't think I don't think if you go and ask any of the Python crew if Gilliam was the funniest guy on the on the on the show, you know, he obviously got brought in to do the animation pieces of it, and he was a a, a back end actor, um, but never like a prominent one. I, I I I to all of the characters and all of the idiosyncrasies in Munchausen, and of course. Neville's just scene chewing I mean throughout the entire movie it really really adds to just I mean taking like you said making it real, a real step up in his filmmaking process and, and and his ability I think it really shows a real evolution of film um, from, from Brazil I think his use of of cameos is I, obviously you you kind of hit the jackpot with Robin Williams in a, in a cameo you, whether you love him as a comedian or not uh, and whether you love his like he's restrained enough in this movie, but let loose enough as well to bring something really, really funny. And this is probably one of the first times you're actually seeing it in that sort of, in that sort of pre-Aladdin sense of just letting this guy go and do what he does. Which, <clears throat> up until that point in his movies really had been restrained. I mean, like, he wasn't allowed to do that in Popeye. He wasn't really allowed to do this. Enough. He could do it in Morton Mindy, but I mean, that's just a TV show, right? It's not like anybody's yeah. taking that yeah. seriously. <laughs> and of course, I know he's a well-respected comedian so- at this point, but to allow him to just kind of go off and... One of the things I love, I love, because again, watching this as a kid, there's the whole scene where, you know, you've got... Williams and his wife and their heads come off, <laughs> and while her head is off, she's making those noises. And 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 Sally's like, "Why is she making that noise? And I'm like, "Well, their bodies are together, and the king is um tickling her feet." And then you pull back, and he's actually tickling her Tling feet. Her feet. And it's just such a good <laughs> gag. <laughs> um, so on
0: a on a on a nerdy note, what I what I really love about about Munchausen and and how it ties in with the other two films, is this idea, one of when it takes place, which is during the age of reason. And so you have Munchausen as this kind of, I mean, he says at one point, he says the world is all logic and reason now. Progress, laws of this and that and the other, no place for imagination play feelings a kind of creativity and that this is the thing that I love about this film is that it's that it's saying like there is no place for this anymore kind of in this world this is what's important we are we are still right reckoning with the enlightenment and and the sort of negative effects of the enlightenment this is this is Brock's philosophy corner. <laughs> <Apparently, right? laughs> and so we have this character who's like, no, no, like we need to sort of embrace these feelings, embrace our imagination, embrace play, right? Let's be creative. And he says, I don't know how many times to to Sally played by Sarah Polley. If you believe, if you believe me, if you can find your way to believe this idea, right? To this child, child who same age as Kevin, but very different than Kevin, this old man saying, no, look, this is what's important. Right? You have to believe, you have to indulge in your imagination, in your feelings. and And, and so, That's what I that's the biggest thing that I that I love about this movie is that everything relies on this willingness to believe these stories, the willingness to sort of really lose yourself within these stories. And, you know, it's something that Brazil doesn't have. And it's something I think that Time Bandit's. Hints at right, or or tries to get to, but this one really fully kind of, I think, gets to that that moment.
1: This what this does differently than the other two is that I mean, yes, it's called the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, but but Munchausen's entire goal in this movie is really just to reclaim his friends and to remind them who they were and to help them reclaim that glory. And obviously to tell Sally the story and to, and to have her and to give her a sense of wonder and a sense of imagination. Well, but like, but he goes back and all of them, he doesn't, there's there's grudges between them but none of them are they're all easily overcome they're all and and they all fall back and once they realize who they were or what they were capable of they all fall back into wanting to rejoin this this grand adventure that they had when they were young and i to me that that level of like in that display of friendship and this this team it's you know yes it's the adventures of Barry munchausen and the poster is him uh his head as a as a as the head of a hot air balloon which is funny that's it's 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 a it's a, a spot on um image but all of the other characters from the strong man to 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 eric idles uh, you know, a speedster to the little person who can hear really well. And the other yeah. person is a sure shot. All of those those teams together, working together to kind of Suno conquer the world. Um, and then him just trying to, to find himself and, and go back and relive all of that is, 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 is so much fun. And and, I mean, like the cameos here all work really well. And of course, I mean, you can't really call Uma Thurman a cameo, I guess, because she wasn't anybody at this point from, you know, from an actress perspective. I think this had to have been. I don't know if this was the first thing that she'd done, but it was. She's she's in it too much to be a cameo.
0: And she plays two different characters. Sure, sure, sure.
1: Yeah. That's what's fun about this, too, is that, you know, all of the characters that you see throughout the film are also the characters that then pop up in the stories that Munchausen is telling, which, again, can then be believed as he's filling you, he's filling you full of bullshit. And he's just using what's around him to to boost up these stories. I, I yeah, I don't. I mean, I, other than I just I, I sit back and I watch this movie with a smile on my face. I don't really have much more to say about it. I, I, other than this one is my favorite by far. I think Neville is so good in this role, and is the, the humor is played <laughs> so tightly, and it, it it brings back the level of Python humor, but doesn't go back to sketch comedy humor in a sense that this may be the best non-python python movie that exists
0: yeah I, and, and and like we said earlier this these scenes connect these themes connect throughout the film there you don't have that you you have a lot of the deadpan humor and the kind of you know the well, making the a, joke, too, right? making yeah. a j-
1: joke the silliness of it too right yes. I and mean, it's like the pratfalls and the and, and the dumb stuff as well as all there
0: but, and that's the thing that i always loved about the pythons too is that they would do all of that, but they would do it with a straight face. And how right. many times do we see the silly humor, the Pratt falls, the physical comedy, and it's done with a wink, right? It's done with a sort of like, you know, self-aware knowingness, right? That kind of irony. These guys just do it straight. It's it's and, and I and I love the ending of this film right? where they where they walk out of the city gates and no one believes them and they find out that that the story he told them just happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the little girl goes. It wasn't just a story, was it? And she and he's like, no. So I, yeah, I really, yeah,
1: this was this was the my favorite out of the three. Even. But going back to Gilliam as a whole, I, I do think that that this is a guy who's drunk his own Kool Aid a little bit, in the sense that. I, I think you hear these stories of the auteur versus the system. And I think that he's bought into that story of himself and this legend of himself. I do think that there's a reason that Gilliam has such a hard time getting movies made. And I think you can see it in these movies. I expect that you can especially see it in Brazil. And, and yes, I mean, there's, he's, he's run into a lot of bad luck, you know, obviously with, uh, you know, with the Don Quixote film, but him butting heads with, with studio heads, I think some of that is earned. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just this guy who's being put upon by the system. I think this is a guy who is a talented and visionary filmmaker. And I also think that he doesn't think he needs to play within the in the in the same sandbox that other filmmakers get to have to play in.
0: And there's a and there's a way I think to do that. Sometimes you're just an asshole. And 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 I would say that Gilliam is probably just an asshole. Not that I met him, but going off <laughs> we have to go off. There's a way to sort of do your own thing within a kind of framework. <laughs> Framework's not the right 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 term, but there's a way to sort of do your own thing and get away with it within that system where you're still butting heads, right? But you're doing it in a way that you can still get what you want. I say this, like, I know I, I've never been able to do it. I always end up getting fired. So
1: <laughs> I,
0: I've tried. I've tried. And, and I just like, you know, my contract doesn't get renewed. But that's, that's a different story. But I do think that that he hasn't made the level of art that he thinks he's made. So I enjoy most of his films. right? I mean, I joke about The Brothers Grimm, but I enjoy the hell out of that movie. I think it's ridiculous. And I think they all know it's ridiculous. But and, and, and along with Fisher King and Twelve Monkeys. But I don't think that they are as good or as highbrow art as he thinks they are. And because of that, he thinks that he has maybe more more right to push than he does.
1: He has a stellar pedigree. I mean, right. I mean, he comes right. from possibly the funniest group of people that right. ever put stuff to to film. He is a beloved Criterion. Not that that's necessarily the the bellwether that, you know, the, the, the marker that maybe it, we think it is. But I mean, like all of his, like most of his early stuff is in the Criterion catalog, including at least at one point in time, right? Holy Grail was there. Life of Brian was there. Jabberwocky mm-hmm. is there. Time Bandits, all three of these films are there. Fear and Loathing, Fisher King. So, I mean, he's well covered there. Um, But yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I I th- I, I think he is a. I, I put him on the level of early Burton type stuff, right? I mean, I think that he has the same sort of vision and aesthetic, not necessarily the same aesthetic, but a definitive aesthetic that that Burton has. Where and I, you can't equate that to now. I mean, obviously Burton's gone off, gone off the rails, but <laughs> but when you saw a when you saw a film when you see a Harry Gilliam film, you pretty much know you're seeing a Gilliam film. I would say some of them. Obviously in the later years may not maybe not so much, but but the early stuff for sure. You know you're watching you know you're watching Gilliam. I just but I agree with you. I don't think that he is as unfallible as he thinks he is. The definitive point of why, why does the Wilhelm scream on Terry Gilliam? <laughs> Everyone has been waiting for that. We all know. <laughs> Holy shit. When are they going to get to that, uh, that point on Gilliam? It's been yeah, two fucking one hours. Two hours and now they tell us how they really feel about Terry Gilliam. <laughs> for two assholes talking about how long a fucking movie is. Which could be the alternate it. name of the podcast. Yes. and that, Yeah, it's the subtitle.
0: How is the time on Why Does the Wilhelm Scream? Where we do recommend it if you like.
1: Yeah, if you like these this thing, then you may like these things. I'll I'll let you go first.
0: My first recommended if you like is The City of Lost Children. And a, a I think that's a pretty pretty easy one so sorry no no,
1: i agree they were coupled on the criterion channel together um as like a double feature yeah as a double feature now you can't watch brazil on the criterion channel anymore it's it's no longer streaming but you can watch city of lost children which i highly highly recommend it's
0: it's fantastic yeah and and ron perlman at his most i don't know buff yeah He's, he's, he's a buff in that he's young
1: i mean He's a weird-looking guy in real life. I've I've, I've walked yeah. next to him at a. He's a weird-looking weird guy on the on the screen. He's sure, weird. sure. <laughs> I, you just like he's weirdly top-heavy. Like not like, you know what I'm saying? Like he, like when you walk past him, cause he's not a tall, you always like think that these people were taller than they actually are. He's not a tall guy. And I saw him at a Frightmare one time, you know, a Texas Frightmare weekend. And I ended up walking past him and he's just, he's just really like, like you think he's going to fall over cause he's just like buff on the top. And it's just, it's just a weird Did stretch.
0: you skip leg day? Are you saying that he skipped leg day? He might have, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's my first one, City of Lost Children.
1: My first recommended, if you like, is... Uh, You know, it's it's highly influenced by Brazil, but I'm going to go with Joe versus the Volcano. No. It's a much more whimsical, happy ending version of Brazil, but it's basically the same film. Um, but it has Meg Ryan in it. And that's uh, that wins out in my book is if it's a good it as Meg Ryan in a woefully underrated role, like where she plays multiple characters should have been nominated for an Oscar because she's so good in those Tom Hanks pre, you know, Twee, Tom Hanks, you know, this is it has a sense of danger. He's kind of playing the same role as Sam. She's kind of playing the same role as Jill, but has a little bit more agency. And then the Ending is again, it's a much shorter film and it and it's obviously it's a little bit more whimsical and kind of nonsensical, just like Brazil is. But I I like I Joe versus the Volcano is one of my favorite Meg Ryan films, and and of those two, of those two that they do together, I, I I I really love that movie.
0: That's a good shot. That's a good one. My next one is The Trial, 1962, directed by Orson Wells, starring Anthony Perkins, Jean Moreau, Romy Schneider, um, and and Wells himself. Right. I mean, this is where this is based off the the, the Kafka novel where joseph k an unassuming office worker is is arrested and made to stand trial but no one ever tells him what crime he might have committed or what charges are being brought against him so again this kind of absurdist society um there's a great crane shot of the office he works in and it's just like this warehouse full of desks and people sitting at the desks um yeah it's it's great and and the way wells filmed it 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 feels like a stage play I mean, it's much more of a right. stage play than it is an actual, you know, piece of of, of cinema. So, yeah, excellent. Yeah, Good and choice. also, so well. I mean, here is your historical tidbit: Wells <laughs> apparently, Wells apparently knew that Anthony Perkins was gay, you know, but still in in, in the closet at the time. So he had all of these like beautiful women. I mean, Schneider and Moreau, and I, I love Jean Moreau, just, you know, sort of throw themselves in different ways, like at him. And he knew that he would be uncomfortable. And that's, that's how he wanted his character to act. So he did that, you know, kind of on purpose without telling Burke.
1: Nice. Well, my number two is Joseph McGrath's The Magic Christian, written by Terry Southern. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> it's so, it's so fucking had, weird. Yeah, it's not ready for you. No, 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 no. Um, Still not ready for you. Had the luxury of seeing it on the big screen with a crowd. Um, (laughs) If they, so this was one of the 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 program the programming of the Agfa Film Series. They programmed the Magic Christian, um, and you know it was not overly well received by a lot of people. I've loved it. This is a Peter Sellers the uh, and Ringo Starr movie. Uh, Peter Sellers was notoriously shitty about Ringo Starr getting screen time and, and words. But basically the movie is about the world's richest man and the world's poorest man coming together and display and, and exposing all of the greed of humanity by making uh, people do money games. And it's Terry it's just Terry Southern at his Terry Southern est and it's so like subversive and good and like it, it, there's so many like P, I love Peter Sellers mm-hmm. but there's so many like lackluster Peter Sellers roles and like this is just one of the ones that is just so much fun and there's so much to chew on it's not the easiest movie in the world to 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 watch really um there's some really grotesque scenes but but it is a it's it's a fun fun movie if you can if you can seek it out And there's a Yul Brynner in drag scene. (laughs) Yes, that is (laughs) true. That that is true. Pops out of nowhere. It's great. And Graham Chapman actually wrote part of it as well. So Which makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, But I had, I I had a
0: friend who introduced me to this film. He, he, older guy. And I was, I was working in this camera shop and we were talking about movies and he was like, have you seen this? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I I got a copy. I'll bring you. Magic Christian is so fucking
1: good. It's got, Uh, you know, it's got a Uh, who's who cast like Raquel Welch and Polanski, Christopher Lee, Attenborough, uh, Victor Madden. There's just I mean, like everybody's in this and like and and Ringo Starr is so much fun in this movie. It's just so silly. And like, yeah, it's it's so good. So, so good.
0: He is criminally underrated. Um, (laughs) My third recommended, if you like, is High Rise. 2015, uh, directed by Ben Wheatley, starring Tom Hiddleston and Sienna Miller, and again another kind of surreal dystopian society where class struggle becomes a little all too real for people who live in this high-rise apartment block and then kind of you know post-apocalyptic you know, breakdown of societal norms. Ben Wheatley is is an interesting filmmaker. Some of his films are, or all of his films are maybe hard to watch at moments. Yeah. I guess I should, say. but but I think he's a really interesting. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask
1: how, how you feel about him, um, you know, and, and his his level of of fame that he has. Because to me, I I think maybe it has to do with maybe because he's British and like his his films kind of have a British feel to a lot mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> just do, but if you like put him in kind of a surrealist horror block, I, I, I'm. It's interesting to me that he's not more popular, and I know his films are a little bit they're they're hard to get into sometimes. And not not all of them, like you said, they're not all of them are easy to watch. But Ben Wheatley is one of those guys who's kind of prolific. He, he's got a lot of output, and I'm 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 waiting for that one film that he to do that would really pop with like the overall populace. And I'm surprised it wasn't Rebecca. Yeah, and, and
0: And I don't I don't know that I don't know how good of a film it was. I I didn't I didn't mind watching it when I was watching it. But it also didn't really feel like a Ben Wheatley film. Uh, I mean, I think even something like Free Fire feels more like a Ben Wheatley film than than Rebecca did. So, but yeah, I, yeah I'm kind of surprised that that didn't sort of give him a little more like uh, populist attention.
1: Yeah, I I liked In the Earth. I don't know if you saw In the Earth. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I did too. I didn't like Free Fire. For whatever reason, it just didn't hit with me the right way. Um, and I was really, and that was, I think, a lot of expectation, my expectation going in. So that's not really fair to the film but i saw the trailer and was like oh this is going to be badass and it was just like uh, okay it wasn't that great but um i liked sightseers a lot um i like kill list a lot a lot and so i like his stuff it's just it's it's interesting to me that he's not quite to that level of of uh of fame that you would think a guy like this would be my third, uh, recommended if you like is, uh, the Hudsucker proxy. So, you know, the, uh, Coen brothers Mm -hmm. third film after raising Arizona, um, and just, uh, kind of has a lot of the same Gothic, uh, cityscape visuals that, you know, that Brazil does. It's about a young man who's kind of a corn fed, uh, you know, middle, you know, Bible belter who comes into the big city to pitches, you know, to make his way in the, in the big city and to kind of, uh, earn his fortune. And he's not like Sam in the sense he's, he is like Sam in the sense that he has a sense of wonder and sense of whimsy, but he's, uh, but, but also he's not quite as, as disaffected as Sam is in his, uh, pursuit of of his dreams. So anyway, the Hudson yeah. and the Proxy. A, a, a lesser known, although I'm sure people know about it, at a lesser seen, I think, um, Cohen Brothers film.
0: And that was you see a lot of Raimi's influence and, and that, I think especially. And I think he he did an early draft of the film, right? He wrote an early draft of the film
1: and, then, and yeah, then it was reworked. I think so. I I I forget all of the history. You know, that was one of the things that was interesting to me watching Jabberwocky is that it feels like, and again, I know that those two like Evil Dead and Jabberwocky would have come out kind of it would have been weird for me for to, to if Sam Raimi had seen Jabberwocky but there's a lot of like but a lot of that I, I I, it was really evident of the camera movement that's in Python stuff that was an evil that that wasn't evident to me until I watched Jabberwocky and was kind of like this you know because Jabberwocky has that Bruce Campbell I'm stuck on his face while the entire world around him is spinning around there that is evident highly evident in the first opening scenes and in several other scenes in Jabberwocky it's a, it was just an interesting uh, interesting it was a side note <laughs> it was an anecdote that I that I noted when I was watching that movie that's an interesting anecdote Jason thank you for that <laughs> Before we leave, um, I did you see where Olivia Hussey is suing Paramount? I believe Paramount for the nude scenes in Romeo and Juliet. I did. I did. I'm glad you brought. I'm.
0: I'm. I, I meant to make a note to bring this up. So I'm glad you brought that up. Olivia Hussey, who we talked about during our our Christmas movie uh, episode with with Black Christmas. I did, and and she, well, she and and her co star mm-hmm. um, are both suing, and they were only able to because I believe the statute of limitation laws got pulled, right? Right. In right. California, and these are things that I don't really. Quite understand but i think uh, good for her good for them
1: i don't I, I think you on the surface you can think oh well um, why the hell is this you know 50 years later whatever and Libby hussey's 70 why is she looking at, i don't think she's looking for money i, I no. think that she's doing this to lay the groundwork for other young actors and actresses who feel exploited and i know yeah. that it's supposedly better nowadays um you know with intimacy coordinators and things like that but i, I think that this is a suit to set a precedent and you know again I doubt if she wins, she'll ever see any of the money, you know, and I don't she probably doesn't need it at this point. But I think if she wins, it sets a it sets a it sends a message to to filmmakers making movies with young people and and the and the exploitation that you feel like you could you could do with them back in, in 68. So and again I I honestly don't I mean I think that she you know going back and looking at it, whether they felt like they had any sort of say over it, I do they think you know they felt pressure into doing it but i was reading art i mean like that romeo and juliet was shown in classrooms throughout the 70s and 80s uh with full nudity on you know in the videotape and wasn't like that it's 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 a weird it's a it's a weird thing that happened that uh yeah and it's 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 such a it's so oddly titillating that doesn't necessarily need to be part of the story but yeah no i I just found it interesting that that you know it's a it's it's i'm interested to see how the case plays out and uh, i hope that they win and, I do too. and not that, like I said, not that anything that Paramount will have to do anything or, but again, allowing people that come after them. Uh, better situations, so
0: and I think it. I, I think it puts filmmakers and studios on notice. I th- I think it set especially if they especially if they win any content at all. I, well, I actually think just this coming out now and, and and bringing attention to it puts everyone on notice and says you need you need to watch out. This is going to happen, right? Like you said, she's doing this to set up precedent for people coming next um, because there's still and we've talked about this with like you know Lindsay Lohan and and other. there's there's still an, an inordinate amount of exploitation and there is no expiration date on trauma so anybody out there saying like well it's been so long aren't you over it i mean fuck that there's no we don't get over some of these things we figure out how to kind of you know deal with them or manage but they're still there they're always there so there is no end date on on trauma so yeah good for her and i hope this does set a precedent kind of going forward so what are we talking about next time, Brock? So next time, Jason, we'll be starting our series on on Elaine May, uh, the great overlooked Elaine May. So we're going to take a look at our first two films, A New Leaf and The Heartbreak Kid, starring respectively Walter Matthau and Charles Grodin. We're also going to discuss Darren Aronofsky's latest film, The Whale, which I have some thoughts on.
1: So, uh, so we'll be talking quiet about them is the question we have <laughs>
0: I will try to keep my voice at a level volume, a, a
1: measured discussion. On I have not seen it yet, but, but I will see it between now and then. Go um, do that. So what, what else? We Anything else coming so, yeah, up? So uh, this will post um, soon. So if you're listening to this and you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we are having a couple of things happen in the third week in January. On January 18th at Stage West Theater, we are doing a showcase of Texas filmmakers and their short films. A few make a few filmmakers out of Austin and a few out of Denton and Fort Worth. Uh, we're having a recorded Q and A with the ones out of Austin, and then we'll be an actual Q and A with the filmmakers in person uh, at Stage West after their short films. I've seen most of these, is and I will have seen all of them by this time of um, the screening, and, and they're they're good. They're interesting movies. Um, I'm not normally a huge fan of short films. I don't. I have a hard time compartmentalizing. <laughs> <while> <laughs> I feel about them if I don't have a full narrative thread and I just have to get little bits and pieces um, so that's my own failing not not anybody else's um, and I recognize that but I'll try to have some questions for these uh, these filmmakers as, as they get up on stage at Stage West uh, but we would really love to see you guys out there we would really love to have a big crowd and to kind of show them what the Fort Worth Film Club can do and what it's all about and we want to show some love to these to these filmmakers and hopefully have them come back again on January 21st we're going to be having the Real House Foundation's Mystery Movie Minithon 6 35 bucks Stage West Two movies, food raffles, auctions, food fun. Did food twice, but and now three times. Company. Uh, good company, bring your friends. I'm looking for a hundred people. I'm not going to get there, but I'm looking for that. So tell your friends, tell your mothers, tell your neighbors, um, have them all come out and support a great cause. Uh, we recently put together a little promo video. It's a little, I will say amateurish. I, I just, cause I'm just, cause I'm personally involved in it and I have a hard time watching myself do things, but, uh, check that out. We did have an event with the kids in the 28th, which is a lot of fun. We showed them the last star fighter and that was a blast. So, uh, but yeah, come help us celebrate a uh, film in Fort Worth and come help us celebrate fostering the next generation of film lovers. Um, And January 21st, 6 p.m. at Stage West. You can find out more at realhousefoundation.org. Outside of that, that's all I got, man. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep on screaming. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you liked today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting WideIsTheWilhelmScreen.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at FortWorthFilmClub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at RealHouseFoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L-HouseFoundation.org. Till next time.